1: Welcome to the Picks for Pace podcast presented by the
2: Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, U.S.A. Koshal. said we are a couple days away from the official start of free agency here for the 2021 season. There's already been a flurry of rumors and activity in the NFL world. It's it's really a frenzy right now with everything going on, but other than that and some of the excitement in the NFL offseason period, how are you doing today, man?
3: I'm doing well, man. Um, obviously, you know, I don't think the listeners know because we didn't mention it last week, but we've officially joined the Blue Wire podcast network. So really cool. You know, I'm excited to work with a podcast network that has people like Greg Olson and Ian Hap doing podcasts for them. So cool move. But other than that, how are you?
2: Yeah, that's definitely has to be pointed out. Really excited to be joining the Blue Wire. Um, you know, there's a lot of good podcasts on there and hopefully we can be one of those um, where you know we can get recognized as one of those nicer, nice podcasts to have on the Blue Wire. But other than that, it's just a great opportunity to talk more bears and draft stuff, and and just move on with everything that's going on here. We have a lot to discuss here today. You know, I wanted to start this podcast. You said by going over some of the bears news before getting to more of our typical uh, positional breakdowns and previews for the upcoming draft. And you know, we'll start with free agency stuff for the bears. And really that starts with Allen Robinson getting the franchise tag. So the bears, they did not mess around in terms of putting the franchise tag on Allen Robinson. He is going to be, unless there's some kind of trade in the works here where he gets tagged and traded, he is going to be on the bears roster for the 2021 season. Um, you know, I would have loved to seen a long-term deal for Allen Robinson here, obviously, but uh, for now, with everything still sale at the quarterback position, a tag is probably as good as you're going to get right now at this point in the process.
3: Yeah, and, you know, I think that the big thing to keep in mind is that this whole thing of Extend Allen Robinson, it's been going on for a year now, right? And so as soon as the 2020 season rolled around, and, you know, the pace has been known to never really give out extensions in season, he's always extended guys, you know, core players like Eddie Goldman, Charles Leno Jr., Akeem Hicks, you know, right before the start of the season, but the Bears didn't get a deal done with Allen Robinson. So ultimately you look at it this year and you're like, okay, this has been a long time coming and people have debates because they see Allen Robinson's antics on social media. And I think the big thing to understand here is just the fact that, Hey, listen, The bears know how valuable Allen Robinson is to the offense, right? In terms of he's been the most consistent offensive weapon for the last three seasons. All right. And in 2020, he had his best season despite the bears running a two quarterback system. All right. Because that's what it was. Now you look at that and you realize they were never going to let a player of his caliber walk for nothing. And we have to understand that if there were 31 other NFL teams that had Allen Robinson, they would have done the same thing. So Really, what's going to happen now over the next couple months is because the franchise tag deadlines, well, the deadline to sign players to long-term deals is July 15th, right? And so ultimately, when you look at that, the Bears and Robinson are going to have to work out an extension before then, and that's the ultimate goal. Otherwise, if July 15th comes and goes, he's playing 2021 on the franchise tag. And then they revisit the contract extension hopefully next offseason. But I will say this. The Bears are an organization that's been notorious for handing out the franchise tag in the past to guys like Alshon Jeffrey and Matt Forte and a couple other key players. But Forte and Jeffrey are the two key names that come to mind right now. And unfortunately, the Bears have not done a good job of coming up with extensions for those guys before – that mid-July deadline. I mean, I know Matt Forte was the exception back in 2012, but you look at the last time Pace used the franchise tag on Alshon Jeffrey, which was 2016, I believe. Chicago was just unable to come to a deal with him, and then Jeffrey left via free agency the following offseason. So it's going to be a situation to continue monitoring as the weeks go by. Yeah, the this, this
2: situation is certainly very similar, I think, to the Alshon Jeffrey situation, although I, I'd say that personally – in my opinion, Alan Robson's a better player than, than uh, Alshon Jeffrey and has, you know, done a lot more to earn an extension than what Alshon Jeffrey did while as a bear, although Jeffrey was a very good player for the bears for four or five years there. Um, but I mean, this entire situation, it goes back to, like you said, this has been something that's been going on for the last year or so. And this is something that I got into with a couple of people on Twitter uh, who may be listening to this podcast right now, but um, just the idea that you know, when you look at this whole situation, Al Robinson, he's clearly been ticked off at the Bears organization for the last few months here, because he obviously wants an extension, wants to get a long-term deal done, um, and it, from what it sounds like, the Bears just haven't been willing to um, go to his asking price right now, and it was reported that it was, it was around $18 million was was his asking price early in the off season, last offseason, uh, right before the season started, and they just haven't had much talks, if any, at all since then um and you know in my opinion alan Robinson is easily worth that type of contract we've seen other players with uh, close to similar skill set and talent and ability as alan Robinson get that type of money here you're looking at you're looking at here um keenan allen for one you got cooper with the cowboys is another guy that got a long-term deal i think who's in a similar tier player as alan Robinson is right now and is this is something that it had to be done I think last offseason and it's just it's frustrating that it isn't done and it's gone this far to where the Bears need to resort to a franchise tag at this point because you look at some of the moves that the Bears have done instead of giving Allen Robinson uh, that big payday that he wanted and you look at extending Eddie Jackson that's probably a good move to make obviously Eddie Jackson had a down year uh, in 2020 but I think he's going to be fine going forward with Sean Desai now as the defensive coordinator. I think he'll have a rebound year this next upcoming season, but we'll see what happens there. But I don't think you can be mad about the Bears prioritizing Eddie Jackson, maybe not over Al Robinson, maybe, but uh, Eddie Jackson is a key part of their defense safety. The safety position is a very valuable position right now, especially if you're a good cover safety, which Eddie Jackson is. So that's definitely an understandable move to make. But then you look at the rest of the off season last year for 2020 handing out a big contract to Robert Quinn, giving Jimmy Graham at the time top five money uh, per year at the tight end position, and then taking on Nick Foles' big bloated contract, and then during the season early on, giving Tariq Cohen a nice little extension, which is pretty good money uh, for a running back of his skill set as more of an undersized explosive receiving uh, weapon out of the backfield. Um, You know, Ryan Pace did not have to make that move there. He was doing that move a little bit early, I think, because Tariq Cohen, he's coming off a down season. He then subsequently had that ACL injury. Um, I think it was literally the week after uh, signing the contract there. So he's done all of these things where he's pushed money down into the future. He's given out big money to aging players um, to come in here and contribute at other areas that are not as valuable as your best offensive player on your football team right now. And it can be understandable that Alan Robinson will be a little pissed off at GM for seeing all these players get prioritized over him. You know, and, and the excuse to me that, you know, that Ryan Pace is waiting to see what the figures are going to be this year for the salary cap. That's BS in my opinion, because there are multiple teams out, out there uh, across the league that made extension to their number one wide receivers this offseason, knowing there would be a shortage. Ryan Pace made a bunch of big signings knowing that there could be um a decrease in the cap space this season did that all that regardless but he's not willing to take care of his best player on offense you know you have to look at it from both sides here maybe the Bears don't see him as that but from Al Robertson's perspective that's got to be frustrating
3: yeah frustrating is the right word to use and I think that because Pace talked about this last week in his press conference he was kind of asked he's just like hey what do you see with the players kind of taking their frustrations out on social media and Al Robinson has been one of those guys who's not necessarily tweeted out that he is disappointed but the things that he's liked and retweeted all that kind of stuff on social media have kind of shown he is frustrated with the situation which in a lot of ways has reached the point of no return, unless something magically changes over the next four months. But I think when we look at it, you know, it's not just the fact because people are under the assumption that, oh, my God, Allen Robinson's super upset and blah, 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 and all that. But when you look at it, right, it's not just Allen Robinson that's upset at things like the franchise tag, right? This is like a league-wide problem because it takes away a lot of leverage from the players because at the end of the day, the franchise tag, the only thing it is is it's essentially just like a one-year contract for – teams to basically dish out to players and say, Hey, listen, we know you're too valuable. We do not want you to go. We're not going to lose you because we know what you bring to the table. So we're going to slap you with the franchise tag in an effort to essentially handcuff you and keep you with us. Right? So that's what really the reality of the situation is, is that players are upset with the franchise tag. Now, in terms of just, you know, money for and Robinson, we have to understand that I believe DeAndre Hopkins makes like $27.2 million a year. Right. And he's the highest paid receiver in football. Now, Allen Robinson's not going to get to $25 million a year. But you look at other guys like Michael Thomas, like Amari Cooper, who are making about $20 million a year. And I will say this because Michael Thomas makes, I believe, $19.25 million or somewhere in that range. I will say Allen Robinson, he's like the 17th highest paid wide receiver in football right now. And there are guys like Cooper Cup that are – and Stefan Diggs, I believe, that are not as good as Allen Robinson, but are paid way more than him. And so, for A Rob, you see where the frustration is setting in, right? In the sense that the guys earn the right to be one of the highest paid receivers in football. Should he be paid top five? No. But for a guy who's basically the 17th highest paid receiver in 2020, and the way he produced and played each week, you know what? The Bears essentially got a bargain deal. And so from A-Rob's perspective, it's, hey, you got a bargain deal the last couple seasons out of me, so now now it's my turn to get paid and pay me what you know I'm worth is essentially what it's coming down to.
2: Yeah, agreed 100%, and maybe if the Bears' quarterback situation was different you know, maybe Allen Robinson would be willing to take a little bit less here to get a long-term deal done. Because if you have a quarterback here, say, you know, what if the Bears somehow make a trade for Russell Wilson, and make a splash like that, for instance, then maybe Allen Robinson, he'll look at the situation and say, okay, we have a quarterback now. We're in contention here because we have a quarterback now. And this is a guy that's going to make me happy as a player because he's going to look to feed me the ball a lot um, as the number one wide receiver here with a good quarterback. You know, maybe I'll take a little bit less than to go all in for a championship here. But as it stands right now, the Bears aren't in any position right now where they can hang their hat on, you know, be, being a contending team to where Allen Robinson can take a hometown discount. That's not going to happen here. And the last thing I'll say on this topic here, touching more on the franchise tag and all that in general, you know, I don't blame the Bears necessarily for putting the tag on Allen Robinson because until the Players Association gets their act together and, you know, bargains for the franchise tag to get out of here in the next collective bargaining agreement, you know, NFL teams have every right to use the franchise tag and, you know, it's a smart team building tool to use for them. And I don't blame them for wanting to exercise that right to use the franchise tag and and go about that way. But, you know, Bears fans have to understand this from Allen Robinson's perspective, again, you kind of laid it out perfectly, the going rate probably for a number one wide receiver now is you're probably looking at about $20 million per year. And from all reports, all signs are pointing to the Bears not being willing to meet that price for Allen Robinson. And you have to take it from his perspective that he's been the number one player on this offense for the last three years, especially the last two years. He's really been the engine that's drove, driven this offense going forward. He's had to deal with bad quarterback play throughout you know, the offense, you know, where would they be without Allen Robinson? They would be even worse than where they are right now. So uh, from Allen Robinson's perspective, he has all the leverage here. Um, and I just hope that the bears outside of getting a quarterback, which they, that needs to be priority. Number one, I hope their second priority this offseason is getting a long-term deal for Allen Robinson and making sure he's happy in Chicago for a long time to come. All right. So enough on that topic for today, we're going to be transitioning then to our main topic for today's episode And that's going to be continuing our 2021 NFL Draft position previews. Uh, This week, we're going to be going to the interior defensive line position. So some of those guys in the interior line there, pass rushers, interior run stoppers, all that stuff. We're going to be breaking down our top five players at the position, sleepers, overhyped prospects, and what we think the Bears should do to address the position going forward in the NFL Draft. So we're going to get to that right away, starting with,
1: Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts.
2: All right, starting here with our top five guys. You said I'm going to start with you. Who are your top five interior defensive linemen in the upcoming 2021 NFL draft?
3: Yeah, so my number one guy, and I feel like he's been just the consensus number one guy, is Christian Barmore from Alabama. And then number two, I've got Tommy Toe. Gaye, I hope I'm saying that name correctly from Ohio State. Number three, I've got Levi on Wuzirke. He's from Washington. Number four, I have Davian Nixon from Iowa. And then number five, I have um, Darius Stills from West Virginia. Yeah, so we agree
2: on number one. So Christian Barmore for me. Uh, In my opinion, he's the only first-round talent in this draft for the interior group of pass rushers here. He's big, he's strong, he's long, he's quick, he's got all the tools needed to play the position. The only thing that's a little bit weird about Barmore is that he really wasn't a full-time player at all at Alabama during his entire career there. So um, that could be seen as a concern, but I see it as more of there's a ton of untapped potential there that I think if you're a team taking him in the mid to late first round, you'll bet that upside on him um, for sure. Uh, My number two guy, I have Levi Onzuwuku ricky out of washington uh to me he's an early to mid second round talent he's long quick athletic explosive off the line of scrimmage really tough to handle for the most part in single block opportunities but double teams can wash him out of plays a little bit so i do question his upside as a run defender but there's a lot of upside there as a pass rusher which is what you're looking for with some of these early uh round picks in the interior here and then my third guy osa odigizua out of ucla kind of similar to uh, Levi here so Odigizua he was very interesting for me because my first experience watching him was at the senior bowl and he was absolutely dominant there he might have been the best player there uh, Levi was there as well but he only practiced the first day there because he was he was dominant the first day as well so but osa he was there for the three days of practice and the game he was, he was there throughout the entire week uh, he's technically undersized at only six foot two 280 pounds but he's extremely strong he's got a thick lower body so he holds up actually pretty well to point of attack even though he's an undersized guy and he makes up for the lack of height with pretty good arm length as well 34 inch arms so some of the stuff that i like about his game he's explosive off the line of scrimmage he penetrates into the backfield quickly um and he's quick and can bend in one-on-ones as well so he's not just a straight-up bull rusher um you know, early on, he's probably not going to be the best run defender in the world. You know, that size does get him washed up a little bit um, and double teams and things like that, but he might have the highest upside in this class in terms of pass rush ability, in terms of these interior defensive linemen. Uh, it's just a matter of whether he can develop right now because he's, he's really raw. You know, so, some of the only moves he would make at UCLA was just trying to push offensive linemen back to the lap of the quarterback, and that's not going to work at the NFL level. He has to add more moves to his game, but He definitely showed some nice traits at the Senior Bowl, so I'm really excited to see where he goes and develops. Um, My number four guy, Alan McNeil out of NC State. Um, To me, he's a second-round talent as well, and I kind of describe him as a bull in the china shop. Um, He's powerful at the line of scrimmage, doesn't move backwards uh, very easily, but just very raw. And then my five guy, Davion Nixon out of Iowa.
3: Yeah, you know, I think um, when we look at this defensive line class, right, because you mentioned Christian Barmore. And to me right now, when we – obviously, just looking at this DL class, it's just like it's a very weak DL class because, yeah, Barmore is a first-round talent in my eyes. I mean, him not being – a I agree with you there. Him not being a full-time starter is a bit of a concern, but when he did play, he really took advantage of all the starting time. You know, I don't think we're going to see a defensive lineman selected on day one in this draft, but, you know, you look at some of the other guys in this defensive class, like when I look at a guy like Tommy to gay, I, you know, I really hope I'm saying his name correctly, but I think he's just going to be a natural um, run defender at the next level. And then, you know, he just really gets off blocks consistently. So I think when I look at Toya guy he's going to be a guy that's just going to be a early down run stuffer. And then you mentioned Levi Onuwirzike, right? I really hope I'm saying that name correctly. But what I like about him is he's got, you know, really good um, body quickness. And then there are times where he was essentially being double teamed, right? And the toughness for him is definitely there. But overall, like, when I look at this defensive line class, I think for me the theme is that there is a lot of untapped potential, but none of these guys are going to be, like, surefire um, first-round picks, you know, compared to, like, the last couple years where I know – the last couple of years we've had like Derek Brown be a top five pick. We saw Quinn and Williams go top three in um, 2019. And then, you know, looking at a guy like uh, Tyler Shelvin, you know, Shelvin's interesting because I know for a fact, like he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. And so ultimately when you look at him, you know, he's huge in terms of just his size. He's like six foot three. I believe he's like 360 something pounds. And he's not going to be the biggest run defender on the planet or I'm sorry, not the biggest run defender. I should say the best run defender on the planet, but he is a guy that just uses a lot of his strength to his leverage and then just creates plays for other guys around him. And, you know, I would say for me, what I really like about uh, Shelvin is this, is that I think in terms of scheme fit at the next level, right? I think he can be a true starter as a three, four nose tackle, but then he can also play in a, um, four, three scheme, four, three defensive scheme, and then end up being like a one or a three technique. So Shelvin's just very interesting in that regard, because I do think he will be a guy who is going to thrive at the next level, but this scheme that he's in is really going to play a big role. Yeah. And, you know, when looking at
2: this class as a whole, I agree that it's a very top heavy class. I mean, Barmore, he's really the only guy we're talking about here. That's going to get first round hype in my opinion, but he isn't, like you said, on that level of a Derrick Brown or even a Javon Kinlaw, I think, uh, when looking at last year's draft. He certainly is not even close to a Quinnen Williams type of prospect or um, anything close to that. So, Barmore, he's very much a projection type of pick, I think, going into the next level. Um, but like you said, I mean, there is a bit of you – know, the one thing that stood out to me when watching this class was there are a good amount I think of two down run defenders in this class. So if you're a team that's looking for that two down impact to stop the run, to eat up blocks in the middle there, some versatile versatile guys that can move up and down the line of scrimmage and play a variety of different roles for you, this is probably a good draft for you in terms of the you know late day 2, early day 3, even going to late day 3 to get those type of guys in this class, but There is a lack of true upside um, pass rushers here in this class, which is why uh, that brings me to really my fifth guy here, um, Davion Nixon out of Iowa, because I think he's a guy that could really shoot up draft boards late here because teams are going to see his upside and really like his potential as a pass rusher. So to me, when I look at him right now, I have him great. I was more of a late second, early third round type of talent. He's a classic three tech though, though, uh, when looking at, where he's going to play in the NFL. He has a ton of upside. Um, He has good length and he's very athletic. So those two traits alone really helped him out um, at, you know, at Iowa last year, he really dominated the big 10 just with those two traits alone last year, uh, very quick at the line of scrimmage. Um, And he's flashed good instincts as well when playing the run at times. So um, there are some things to like about his game, but his pass rush plan, it needs significant development. I think if he's going to be ready to play right away at the next level, And when you look at his background here at Iowa, he was a JUCO transfer and had three years at Iowa, but really didn't do anything the first few years there. He really exploded in 2020, but I mean, he's a bit of a one-year wonder at this point. So you really have to question, okay, is he a a guy that's going to be consistent once he gets to the next level, or is he just a long-term project at this point? But I think in terms of this draft class here, he is just as high as a ceiling as anyone in this class, and that includes Barmore as well.
3: Yeah, and that's the thing. I think a lot of people tend to forget regarding defensive linemen, You know, is the defensive lineman position? It's not like other positions where, in this, it just in the sense that, hey, if you know you have you're in the league for a couple of years and on your first contract, if you don't make it as a starter, you're automatically out of the league. I think the reality is DL is one of those positions where, even if you are a high pick, but you don't necessarily pan out, then what happens is or live up to expectations. What happens is you can still make some. Thing out of your career as being a rotational guy, you know? And I think Nixon's one of those guys for me, just in the sense it's like you've mentioned, right? The potential, he's got all the potential there in the world. I don't think, you know, he has more potential than some of the other guys in this class, but the potential to be a solid defensive tackle in this league for a long time is definitely there. But, you know, the one year wonder thing is really what gets me because, I mean, you and I have pretty much agreed on this. Just some of the best players in the draft class every single year are the ones that are multi-year starters. You know, I mean, they produce consistently on tape for two plus years. Right. So with a guy like Nixon, you know, you're looking at someone who in three to four years, when we look back at this draft class in like 2024, 2025, Nixon could be a guy that is either one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL, or he's just like a rotational, you know, two down guy for some defense out there.
2: Yeah. And that very well could be the case as well. There's definitely a large range of possibilities there, but I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to when you're scouting these guys is what is your bias as an evaluator? Do you value the guy that's going to be consistent two to three year starter who, you know, you've got a lot of tape on him. You know what he is as a player. Are you going to identify more of that player when looking to the draft, or are you going to like the guy who maybe has only shown you flashes as a player? doesn't really have that extensive tape to look at here and really dive into his game, but, The flashes are really impressive and really like what you see out of him. And in terms of projecting him to the next level, um, you know, me personally, I kind of go gravitate towards more of a ladder there. I like the guys that, you know, I can project, you know, very highly to the next level and maybe see if my coaching staff can get the most out of them, you know? So, although when you got a two, three year player at the college level, some of those guys do have a really high ceiling as well. And those are really the guys that are going to be paid really high in the drafts. Usually I mean, look at the, like Chase Young's, Nick Bosa's, all those guys throughout the years that have been not only, you know, great consistent players over multiple seasons, but just have that insanely high to where, you know, that, um, they could be something special once they get to the NFL, but I mean, that's something that you're gonna have to balance with this class, because there are some guys here that we're going to get to later when it comes to our sleepers and overhyped guys that, um, you know could be just because they have a lot of tape here you know they're going to be pretty solid overall but there is a ton of untapped potential in this in this class overall and that leads me to my number four guy alan mcneil i kind of touched on him earlier but i think he's a really intriguing guy because he is a huge huge player in the middle of that defense there but i mentioned this before he is extremely raw and you combine that rawness with you know, kind of the lack of competition. I think he played at, at NC State um, to a lesser degree, although he, you know, he's playing in the ACC. So there is good competition there, but um, you know, there are some question marks about whether he can translate to the NFL, but you look at what he does. I mean, he's big. He pushes the pocket. I mean, I, I think he can thrive as an early down run defender right away. And once his pass rush skill set develops and catches up to, you know, those physical traits that he already possesses, I think he could be a monster at the next level. I think he's got a lot to like about his game. It's just a matter of going to the right place and the right fit for him.
3: Yeah, he is really interesting, right? And I think that he's going to need a really good defensive line coach at the next level to kind of put it all together for him. Because it's like you mentioned, I mean, he's like, 320 something pounds right and so when i look at a guy like mcneil right i know for a fact that his background in high school just when i went into the 247 sports recruiting database doing some research on him earlier this month right he was a guy that actually played linebacker and running back in high school so kind of he's seen like both sides of the spectrum here in terms of just you know what players at other positions are gonna go ahead and do and i think that he needs to just become overall a um more consistent pass rusher and we talk about him being raw right i think that he's just raw specifically not even in terms of the pass rushing but just in terms of it's just like the rush moves that he's going to use you know and i think that he needs to add on like a bull rush move or just be more cons- you know more consistent with a couple of these other moves and you know i think there's this um with him what it is, is this right is He doesn't need to have like 10 moves down. He can honestly, you know, defensive linemen are able to win with like two or three really good moves that they just consistently master. And I think if McNeil does that throughout his rookie season, then you're going to see him burst onto the scene, um, you know, as early as 2022.
2: Yeah. And that's what you're projecting. I think for him to be maybe not an instant contributor for you, but 2022, 2023, I think you're going to see a lot of these guys start to really show up in those seasons. So if you're drafting one of these players don't be discouraged if they struggle early on because there is a learning curve here and there's going to be development here that is going to be needed all right we're going to be transitioning now then going from our top five guys to our sleepers and overhyped prospects then um you said i'm going to start with you who is your sleeper in this year's class
3: yeah so my sleeper in this class is very very interesting right because i just The reason he's my sleeper is I just think that he's not getting enough love, right? But it's Texas A&M's very own Bobby Brown. You know, first off, when you look at him, right, he's been a guy who's consistently played for Texas A&M over the last couple of years. I mean, 2020 in terms of production was by far his best year, right? Because he had seven and a half tackles for a loss and 5.5 sacks. And then just when you look at him from the perspective of, A football player, right? He is a very good run defender on the interior, you know, anchors just really well. And then when it comes to the point of attack, he's really able to uh take over. But where I think he needs to be just more consistent is in terms of his motor, right? Because there's a couple reps that you look at and or a couple reps, a couple snaps that you look at, and you're like, Oh my god, Bobby Brown absolutely took that over and went boom, right? But then there's other ones you look at and you do kind of sometimes have to like question his effort, you know? So, and then another thing is this, right? Is I also think that he just needs to get better when it comes to finishing, In terms of sacks, and I understand as pass rushers and defensive linemen, you're not going to get after the quarterback every single time, but there are a couple opportunities where you look at with regards to Brown where you're like, okay, you probably had a shot at the quarterback there and could have made a sack, but instead, what did you do? You just went for the ball and going for the ball is completely fine, but at the end of the day, if you can bring the quarterback down, that's even better because that's your job as a pass rusher is to consistently get after the QB and bring him down.
2: Yeah. Brown is really intriguing. Like you said, he has that size and run defending ability um, that I think will translate to the next level. It's really about that pass rushing, um, whether he can catch that up to his run defense that really will make or break what he is in the, in the NFL. Um, but I'm going to take a different approach with my sleeper because this is a guy that is a complete opposite to Brown. Um, and that's cam sample out of two lanes and hybrid edge interior defensive line player, I like him more as an interior defensive line guy, kind of similar to a Roy Robertson, Robertson Harris type of role where he can rush off the educationally, but you're going to want him to be an interior guy um, in sub packages when you need an extra pass rusher there, some extra juice, juice um, in like dime defense, nickel defense, all that type of stuff. And this is a guy that, so Sample, very interesting player because there isn't a lot of film that I can find on him um, because obviously going to a small school like Tulane, Darnell Mooney came from Tulane, Coincidentally, last season um, for Bears fans that remember that. So, um, same school there, but Sample. Um, he was a guy that really blew up at the Senior Bowl, and he really caught pretty much everyone in attendance. He pretty much caught all of our eyes there for the media that were watching there. Um, and the first word that comes to mind is just explosiveness. Uh, this is a guy that flies off the ball when the snap is made, and. During one-on-one drills at the Senior Bowl, I can't remember a single rep where he lost. <laughs> he was un- unblockable in these one-on-one pass rushing drills, and it, you just couldn't stop him. He's extremely quick off the snap, and he has the ability to, to bend and get under these linemen, and he's just, he just has a lot of juice to his game. and He counters that really well by transferring speed to power when uh, these guards and tackles expect him to go with that speed rush. Um, so, he does have some refinement to his game. So, just solely based off the senior bullet alone, it wouldn't surprise me if he would go as early as the third round. Although, I think he'll probably go on day three due to the small school status and the fact that there just isn't a lot of tape on there um, for him right now. And, it, and his size is going to be a bit of a worry. So, you don't know whether he's going to be a three down player for you at this point, depending on the scheme that he goes into. I think he's only about 270 ish pounds. Right now, so I think if you're playing him as primarily an interior guy, he's probably not going to be a three-down player for you. He's probably going to be a two-down guy, similar again to a Roy Robertson Harris, um, to kind of fill that role. Uh, but if you're a team that gets a little bit more creative with with your defensive fronts and maybe you like you like to put him maybe as a two-down base defensive end and then kick him inside, kind of similar to Michael Bennett um, for the Seahawks a while back during the Legion of Boom days. I could definitely see that working for him. Um, There is a lot of ability here with Cam Sample, and I'm really excited to see where he goes because I think just purely as a pass rusher, I don't think it's a hot take to say that he might be the best interior pass rusher in this class. Um, Just based off what I saw at the senior bowl, he was just that good at it, but uh, there are some trade-offs to his game that you're going to have to expect here, but uh, if you're looking for an interior pass rusher, late day two, early day three, He's the guy. He's, he's awesome.
3: Yeah. See, camp sample is interesting because it's like, you mentioned this a couple moments ago, just in the sense that he's a hybrid guy, right? So he can play multiple different positions, just anywhere in the defense. And then you look at his size, you know, he's 6'3, 275. So I think when you look at a guy like him, right, what it's going to be is this, is it's just like, it's going to depend on where he goes because there, here's the thing, right. I don't think many NFL teams are going to want a guy that's like 6'3", 275 and are going to have him be a three-down run stuffer, right, or a three-down defensive lineman, kind of like you mentioned. I think that, you know, teams could just decide, hey, listen, we're going to draft Cam Sample, and then because he's got the tools, you know, and the ideal size and stuff to, like, play edge rusher, you know, things of that nature, maybe they just decide to make him into a um, – you know, full time stand up, like, or I'm sorry, full time, like outside linebacker, you know. So, with samples, really interesting because, like you mentioned, right? Potential is all there. But what it's going to come down to is this is just, just like, where is he going to fit, you know? And I really like the, the thing you brought up with Michael Bennett because how creative of a team, how creative our team's going to get with a guy like him. And we've seen this trend over the last couple of years in the NFL, just in the sense that the defense is not. Defenses in the NFL are not becoming more positionless, but one of the things that defensive coordinators find so, so valuable is just finding players that they can plug and play, you know, at multiple spots all over the defense. And then, you know, essentially the easiest way for me to describe it is it's just like magic happens from there.
2: Yeah. I'm again, I'm really excited to see where cam samples goes because like you said, uh, versatility along the defensive line is becoming more and more valuable. I think, as we move along here in the modern nfl with all these uh hybrid fronts and and wanting to maximize getting as many pass rushers on the field as possible and camp sample is definitely a pass rushing specialist right now so i think teams are going to try and do everything they can to get him on the field all right we talked about some of our sleepers here who is your overhyped guy in this class is somebody that may get a little bit you know drafted a little bit higher than you think he should go
3: so for me, right, and it's interesting because this player did not actually play in 2020 because he opted out due to coronavirus, but it's Jay feely for me from USC, right? Because ultimately when I look at him and you realize, okay, listen, he played, you know, well, he's like essentially a two-year starter, right? USC and then he had like 10 tackles and six and a half sacks right and I do think that had he come back in 2020 he would have probably been in competition for one of the top defensive linemen in this class but the reason I have two feel as overhyped right is because well number one there was a point over the summer and in- at points throughout the fall before Barmore really kind of emerged just in the sense that Tufili was a consensus number one guy, but he was never, you know, my consensus number one guy. And he's like, listen, with Tufili he's got good athleticism, you know, and then obviously, you know, is a decent run defender, but I just think that like, you know, he didn't necessarily play with the best pad level. So overall, right. I think that he's going to be a very, he's going to be a guy who's just like very scheme specific when he does get to the next level. But with that said, I do think with Tufeli, there are, you know, instances there and there have been flashes of if he puts it all together, he can be like a true three down run defender. Yeah. You kind of said my main pet
2: peeve with to because I kind of agree with you. I kind of see him as an overrated, overhyped player, I should say um, in this class as well. And, his pad level gets so damn high at times. Like there are plays where he is just standing straight up and he just gets washed out of the play. And, you know, cause you, it's frustrating cause you see like when he puts it all together with his technique and he's got his pad level low, I mean, he can dominate out there. He's, he definitely has that ability. Um, but I do question whether he does have a high on. like he's a good athlete. Don't get me wrong, but I, I question how high of his ceiling is as an athlete as of right now to really make up for some of the other flaws in his game you know, he's one of those guys where I feel like he needed 2020 to kind of develop and really show some improvement. And right now we're basically going purely off the projection right now. And I kind of said it before that I like those guys that are more of those flashier um, guys that maybe don't have a lot of tape on them, but I can project them to the next level. But to Fele, he's a guy that um, didn't flash quite enough for me to kind of be one of my guys in the sense, I think he needed another year. It's unfortunate. Obviously we can't control uh, COVID and anything going on, but Um, and he had to make the decision for him and his family or whatever so I don't knock him for opting out but it definitely I think would have helped him if he would have uh, played this year to kind of work on his game and show some different things there as well Um, I'm gonna go with the guy for my overhyped player that did end up uh, playing um, at least for a little bit this year he did end up I believe opting out midway through the year I believe and and that's Marvin Wilson out of Florida State and I mean this is uh, interesting for me because i was really high on wilson going into the year i hadn't projected as a first round pick i think he might have been a top 10 player on my first board um when looking at this class like early like last summer i think when i made my first draft board for this class um but he was extremely disappointing this year and he was at the senior bowl as well so i got this, a chance to see him down there um and the first thing you notice about him is, yeah, he's big, he's strong at the point of attack, and he's pretty technically refined with um, his you know, pad level and his hand usage, but he just does not have the explosiveness that you'd like to see in terms of projecting his patch rush ability. So, you know, he's a guy that still to this day is getting projected as a, you know, day two pick, I think, for a lot of draft boards. And I see him when his role at the NFL, I see him being more of a two-down nose tackle And for me, I'm not taking a two-down nose tackle um, just to stop the run on day two of the draft. He's a day three guy for me. I think I would take him with an early day three pick, like fourth round probably, but uh, he just does not have the pass rush upside to where I want to take a premium first, second, third round pick on that type of player.
3: Yeah, see, Wilson is another really interesting case, right? Because, like, you look at him and to feeling you realize, all right, well, going into the year, you know, both of these guys were kind of projected to be the, you know, potential first-round picks. But it's just like they've just really fallen off. And I get, you know, Wilson left school early. But even that, it's just like he did play six games in his final season. And even that, you know, he was disappointing also in terms of production because he had what, like – one or two tackles for a loss, and then I don't even think he registered a sack just based off the limited, you know, Florida State games that I watched in uh 2020. So when ultimately, just when I look at Wilson, I realize, all right, you know, Whites, he can be someone because he has experience playing on the interior. Could you see him playing in like a five-tech role? Probably at the next level but ultimately for him to really play in that five tech role like some people have talked about he's just gonna have to be more consistent you know as a pass rusher as well as a um you know run defender so everything's there for wilson you know i like the power that he brings to the table but then again it's just like he's just so inconsistent in terms of his leverage, that you do wonder, all right, if he gets just the leverage issue cleaned up, then you're talking about, you know, then the outlook on Marvin Wilson would just be so different from what it is right now. And I think for me, right, he's going to be a day three guy. So right now I would not take him. I agree with you, right? I would take him probably in the fourth or fifth round. I think that if you take him in the third round, you know, late third round, that's okay range, but you're still probably overdrafting him because again, like you know, you can find a um, if you're looking for a two down run defender, like you mentioned, you can find a lot of those guys later on in the draft. There's not really any point in using like a high pick on him.
2: Yeah, I just wish he was more explosive athlete because there is a lot to like about Wilson's game. I think his hand usage, he's got a really nice uh, rip and swim move to his pass rush game. But again, he just doesn't have the ability to close on the quarterback once he beats his man because he doesn't get that initial explosion off the snap. He doesn't accelerate quickly once he beats his man to get to the quarterback. He just, um, I don't know, his his upside as a pass rusher is just very limited for me, which which stinks because there are a lot of things I like about him. His size, he's got pretty decent length. Um, he has a pretty good motor, but there is some a lot of bad tape out there for him as well from this last season, so that have kind of soured me on his upside moving forward. So, again, I wish there were more traits to build off of, but Uh, It is what it is at this point.
3: Yeah, you know, so ultimately, like when I look at, you know, Wilson, it's just like, it's the same story with a lot of these other guys in this class, right? It's just like the potential's there, but really what holds them back is like them being raw or just some of these guys just really being inconsistent. And, you know, being a very top-heavy class really does not help either because you're looking at players, you know, like Nixon that we discussed from Iowa, right? Essentially a one-year wonder, right? And then you do wonder, okay, had these guys been consistent the other two years? What would the outlook for this interior defensive line class have had been? You know, and I like I said, I personally do not even see Barmore is a first round talent in my eyes, but I see none of these guys even getting drafted in the first round. Part of it is because you're gonna see a run on quarterbacks, offensive tackles, and wide receivers, but then the other half of it is it's just like it's such a top-heavy class, you know. Defensive line is the type of position where you can find a couple of rotational guys that can turn out to be really solid starters for you. And you do not have to spend, you know, your premium first or second round picks on those players.
2: Yeah, it's going to go either one or two ways in my opinion. Either we're going to see all these guys with pass rushing upside go really early than they should, earlier than they should, because teams want to take advantage of the very few that do have that upside. Or we're going to see, like you said, some of these guys are going to slip down draft boards because they see that this is a weaker group. Uh, they don't want to waste a high pick on some of these guys that may not turn out to be um, any, any better than some of these other players that are probably going to be better prospects on the board at other positions that probably bring you a little bit more value. So it could go either way, but we'll just see how that ends up going. All right, so now it's time to move on to our final uh, topic here, and that's what the Bears should be doing to address the position here of the interior defensive line, so this is going to be a very interesting offseason, I think, for the Bears addressing this piece, this place. Because um, if you're just looking at their at their roster right now, um, as in general, just on paper, it appears that they really don't need to really address this at all. Because you have Akeem Hicks, you're getting Eddie Goldman back, Bilal Nichols has developed nicely, and they've shown a nice ability to get these guys, you know, these veteran midman players off the street and get them to play really nicely within their scheme as complementary pieces. You look at Brent urban, Mario Edwards last year, another guy there. So you would think that, okay, they're probably fine on the defensive line, but here's where my thinking is in terms of the strategy here, you say um, it really depends on what they decide to do. I think with Akeem Hicks, who I think could be moved this off season, whether it be a trade or getting released for cap space reasons, because um, you know, with the cap space, uh predicament currently for the bears there i think 19 million or 17 million over the cap right now with the franchise tag given out to Allen robinson so they are in a bit of a bind cast space wise you know if they're going to be getting a top quarterback here um whether it be trade or in the draft or whatever you know they're going to need a cast space here to address some other needs on this roster get a quarterback and you know i look at you know where their resources are being spent currently a lot of it's on the defensive side of the ball and you look at a guy like Hakeem Hicks who's getting up there in age um, showed some he's had some injury issues over the last couple of years he showed some signs of decline especially late last season you know do you move on from him now and see if you can get something for him and you know put some resources more to the offensive side of the ball and that opens up things for them Bilal Nichols to step up there as a guy but thing with Pallon Nichols is he's going into a contract year as well, so you don't know whether he's going to be a guy that you can keep around long-term. You're already probably going to be losing Roy Robertson Harris to free agency, who could get a nice payday here as a free agent, so you're in a tough spot here because Eddie Goldman, you got him under contract for another three years. Um, you know, I think you can feel pretty happy about him with, with a year off to come back and play at a high level as a nose tackle there, but uh, that could open up a situation where they could address this thing in the draft.
3: Yeah, so it's interesting because when we talk about the defensive line outlook for the Bears going in in 2021, there's a lot we have to acknowledge. And you touch on Akeem Hicks, right, who, like I said, after the elbow injury in 2019 that he sustained in week five against the Raiders in London, he just has not been the same <clears throat> The same player, right? But then ultimately, we also have to factor this in: is that a lot of the success that the Bears have had on the defensive line over the last couple of years, in terms of just guys like Mario Edwards Jr., Bilal Nichols, Roy Robertson, Harris. You mentioned these were guys that burst onto the scene as a result of the really solid coaching done by Jay Rogers. And Jay Rogers obviously left this offseason to go join his buddy Brandon Staley with the Los Angeles Chargers. So the thing is, right, is the Bears have already taken a massive hit on the defensive line anyway, because Rodgers got the most out of um, most out of a lot of his, you know, players, right? He was responsible for even Mario Edwards Jr. bursting onto the scene as well as Brent Urban. So when I look at Chicago, you know, they're going to have to address defensive line some way because Brent Urban's wife liked my tweet on Twitter basically questioning whether Urban was going to be back with the Bears or not. And I don't think Urban's going to be back with the Bears, right? They are going to have to let him go. So they're going to have to sacrifice some depth here on the defensive line to invest in the offense, right? Akeem Hicks is, you know, Eddie Goldman's not going anywhere because he's a young core piece. He's like in his late 20s. You know, I think he's 26, 27 years old. Bilal Nichols going into a contract year, you know. He, I think, has deserved a nice payday, and that's going to be for next offseason when hopefully the Bears have some cap space. So ultimately, you know, I think you make a decision on Akeem Hicks. And if you're not going to ask him to take a pay cut, you probably just go ahead and cut him and then ask him to come back at a lower price. price. That would obviously be an option because I don't think the Bears are going to go ahead and restructure Hicks deal. But I'll say this, in terms of the draft, I mean, if you do trade, you know, Akeem Hicks this offseason, then you need to look at getting someone on day three. And, you know, it's just finding someone that you know is going to be a solid um, you know, a solid day one pass rusher for you that you're not necessarily going to ask to like stuff the stat sheet or anything, but just someone that you view as a long-term piece moving forward because there's no point in the Bears investing a high pick into defensive line. However, they can find someone solid on day two or day three that I think could blossom into a starter at some point in 2021. Yeah, because you would imagine
2: your day one and day two resources are going to be primarily going to the offensive side of the ball. So you're looking at, you know, whether it's a quarterback training up for a quarterback or trading for a quarterback, whether it be getting offensive line help, uh, getting another receiving weapon for uh, this offense, they're going to need to spend those first three picks on that offense. there to try to get some more talent on that unit there. Um, so I agree. Day three is probably the best spot to address the defensive line in this draft. They're going to have a fifth round pick. They're going to have, I believe, three, six round picks now that the uh, compensatory picks are official and a seventh round pick. So uh, those are potentially when you look at it. There, I believe, what is that? That's five day three picks to potentially get a defensive lineman here. And in my opinion, you're looking at two types of guys. You're either looking for, like you said, said that pass rusher, that maybe that undersized but explosive guy in the interior that can push the pocket a little bit, get a quick uh, quick wins uh, in the interior against these guards and centers, and just be another you know. Guy that can wreak havoc in the interior for you to help out Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn on the edges there. Or you can look for, I think, with the Bears going to this too high, you know, light box defense, they're going to need, again, these defensive linemen, there's going to be a lot of stress on them to, you know, hold their blocks and and take on double teams um, to stop the run here on early downs here. So you're looking for maybe an early down, you know, two down to run defender here that can, that's big. I can take up space, eat up blocks, and help Roquan Smith and Dane Trevathan, uh, you know, play clean on that second level and allow them to run around and make a lot of tackles for you. So some guys there that could be of mind, uh, a guy for me, at least, is Tadaro Slade out of Florida. I think he'd be a good fit for that type of role. He's kind of a bigger guy about, I think he was listed at 360 pounds, but I think he plays closer to 330, 340, but um, he's a big guy that you could look for maybe, Um, late day three is kind of that early down run defender and you can always find those type of guys i think late in the draft it's just a matter of whether they're willing to spend that type of pick on a guy like that
3: yeah i totally agree with some of those names that you just mentioned right so ultimately like it's going to be interesting with what the bears do especially at um the defensive line position because when we look at the last couple of years you know i mean Pace is the last, I think, defensive lineman that Pace even picked in the draft was Ball Nichols three years ago. And even that was because when you looked at the state of the defensive line, then, you know, Roy Robertson Harris was emerging. Akeem Hicks had the breakout season or the Pro Bowl season in 2018. Eddie Goldman was very solid and signed a contract extension that offseason. So really defensive lines a position that's kind of been set for the Bears for the last couple of years and now kind of going ahead and moving forward. Right. Looking at it, you're like, all right, there are some big changes that have to be made, but it's all going to depend on when, or where do the Bears decide to pull the trigger on a defensive lineman in the draft if they draft a guy? Because if you take a guy like sixth, seventh round, especially because they're going to have multiple picks in the sixth and seventh round, then you know what? You're like, all right, that guy's probably they're just taking a fire on someone here to push someone that's already on the roster. But if they take someone in the fourth or fifth round, then you realize, all right, they're serious about this player being a starter or a rotational guy in 2021.
2: Yeah, and that's the way I would probably look at it as well. Sixth, seventh round, probably looking at a guy that maybe has some physical traits that you think can be built off of as kind of like a raw player um, that can maybe make your rosters in a rotational role later down the line. Um, whereas if you're spending a third round pick or a fifth round pick, since the Bears don't have a fourth round pick in this year's draft, you know, you're know you looking at somebody that you think can be a contributor on day one, play a role for you on that defense. And you know maybe you... Again, we talked about some guys like Cam Sample, Marvin Wilson, uh, Davion Nixon, if he drops that far. We talked about some guys like that, that they could target here. Um, but again, I think with how important or how necessary it is to invest in the offense right now, with that being the main priority, I think here, um, we're probably going to be looking at more of the latter option. where are uh, at 6 seven-round picks. You're looking at here and you're just hoping that one of those guys can, can hit and uh, be a rotational depth piece for you down the line. All right, so I think that's a good time for us to wrap up this episode of the Picks for Pace podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, at Picks for Pace. Uh, you say, where can they follow you on Twitter and find your work?
3: Yeah, guys, you can follow me on all my social media platforms, at Usaid Culture. You can also read my work on the Bear Report. I am going to be posting an article sometime over the next couple of days that just details the top five free agent needs for the Bears because free agency is... Um, approaching soon yeah
2: and you can follow me on twitter at aj freeman 25 make sure to be following us over this next week it's going to be a very busy week in the nfl world with free agency just around the corner there's probably going to be a lot of cuts a lot of contract restructures and then of course we have the trade market and free agency market coming up so a lot of stuff i think that's going to be uh coming up for us next week here uh, we're looking forward to next week's episode, but Uh, For now, I want to thank our listeners once again for tuning in on all podcasting platforms. Uh, And again, we want to just reiterate that we are excited to be joining the Blue Wire um, network. So we are very happy about that and really excited for that going forward. Uh, Bear Down Bears fans, have a great weekend. We'll be talking to you next week where hopefully we have some free agency news to discuss.
1: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran